Chapter fifty three, part three of a popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A popular history of France from the earliest times, volume six by Francois Guizot, translated by Robert Black. Chapter fifty three, Louis the fifteenth, France in the colonies, seventeen forty five to seventeen sixty three, part three. Three years later, on the same spot on which the Adelantado had heaped up the victims of his cruelty and his perfidy, lay the bodies of the Spanish garrison. A Gascon gentleman, Dominique de Gourgues, had sworn to avenge the wrongs of France. He had sold his patrimony, borrowed money of his friends, and, trusting to his long experience in navigation, put to sea with three small vessels equipped at his expense. The Spaniards were living unsuspectingly, as the French colonists had lately done. They had founded their principal settlement at some distance from the first landing-place, and had named it St. Augustine. De Gourgues attacked unexpectedly the little fort of San Mateo. A detachment surrounded in the woods the Spaniards who had sought refuge there. All were killed or taken. They were hanged on the same trees which had but lately served for the execution of the French. Quote, this I do not as to Spaniards, but as to traitors, thieves, and murderers, was the inscription placed by de Gourgues above their heads. When he again put to sea, there remained not one stone upon another of the fort of San Mateo. France was avenged. Quote, All that we have done was done for the service of the king and for the honour of the country, exclaimed the bold Gascon as he reboarded his ship. Florida, nevertheless, remained in the hands of Spain. The French adventurers went carrying elsewhither their ardent hopes and their indomitable courage. For a long while expeditions and attempts at French colonization had been directed towards Canada. James Cartier, in 1535, had taken possession of its coasts under the name of New France. M. de Roberval had taken thither colonists agricultural and mechanical. But the hard climate, famine, and disease had stifled the little colony in the bud. Religious and political disturbances in the mother country were absorbing all thoughts. It was only in the reign of Henry IV, when panting France, distracted by civil discord, began to repose, for the first time since more than a century, beneath a government just, able, and firm at the same time, that zeal for distant enterprises at last attracted to New France its real founder. Samuel de Champlain du Brouage, born in 1567, a faithful soldier of the king's so long as the war lasted, was unable to endure the indolence of peace. After long and perilous voyages, he enlisted in the company which M. de Mont, gentleman of the bedchamber in ordinary to Henry IV, had just formed for the trade in furs on the northern coast of America. Appointed viceroy of Acadia, a new territory, of which the imaginary limits would extend in our times from Philadelphia to beyond Montreal, and furnished with a commercial monopoly, M. de Mont set sail on the 7th of April, 1604, taking with him, Calvinist though he was, Catholic priests as well as Protestant pastors. Quote, I have seen our priest and the minister come to a fight over questions of faith, writes Champlain in his journal. I can't say which showed the more courage, or struck the harder, but I know that the minister sometimes complained to Sieur de Mont of having been beaten." This was the prelude to the conversion of the savages, 
which was soon to become the sole aim or the pious standard of all the attempts at colonization in new france m de mont and his comrades had been for many years struggling against the natural difficulties of their enterprise and against the ill-will or indifference which they encountered in the mother country religious zeal was reviving in france the edict of nantes had put a stop to violent strife missionary ardor animated the powerful society of jesuits especially at their instigation and under their direction a pious woman rich and of high rank the marchioness of guercheville profited by the distress amongst the first founders of the french colony she purchased their rights took possession of their territory and having got the king to cede to her the sovereignty of new france from the st lawrence to florida she dedicated all her personal fortune to the holy enterprise of a mission amongst the indians of america beside the adventurers gentlemen or traders attracted by the hope of gain or by zeal for discovery there set out a large number of jesuits resolved to win a new empire for jesus christ champlain accompanied them after long and painful explorations in the forests and amongst the indian tribes after frequent voyages to france on the service of the colony he became at last in sixteen o six the first governor of the nascent town of quebec never was colony founded under more pious auspices for some time past the recollects had been zealously laboring for the conversion of unbelievers seconded by the jesuits who before long were to remain sole masters of the soil they found themselves sufficiently powerful to forbid the protestant sailors certain favorite exercises of their worship Quote, at last it was agreed that they should not chant the psalms says champlain but that they should assemble to make their prayers a hand more powerful than that of madame de guercheville or of the jesuits was about to take the direction of the affairs of the colony as well as of france cardinal richelieu had become premier minister the blind gropings and intestine struggles of the rival possessors of monopolies were soon succeeded by united action richelieu favored commerce and did not disdain to apply thereto the resources of his great and fertile mind in sixteen twenty seven he put himself at the head of a company of a hundred associates on which the king conferred the possession as well as the government of new france together with the commercial monopoly and freedom from all taxes for fifteen years the colonists were to be french and catholics huguenots were excluded they alone had till then manifested any tendency towards emigration the attempts at colonization in america were due to their efforts less liberal in new france than he had lately been in europe the cardinal thus enlisted in the service of the foreigner all the adventurous spirits and the bold explorers amongst the french protestants at the very moment when the english puritans driven from their country by the narrow and meddlesome policy of james i were dropping anchor at the foot of plymouth rock and were founding in the name of religious liberty a new protestant england the rival ere long of that new france which was catholic and absolutist champlain had died at quebec on christmas day sixteen thirty five after twenty-seven years efforts and sufferings in the service of the nascent colony bold and enterprising endowed with indomitable perseverance and rare practical faculties an explorer of distant forests an intrepid negotiator with the savage tribes a wise and patient administrator indulgent towards all in spite of his ardent devotion samuel de champlain had presented the rare intermixture of the heroic qualities of pastimes 
with the zeal for science and the practical talents of modern ages. He was replaced in his government by a knight of Malta, M. de Montmagny. Quebec had a seminary, a hospital, and a convent before it possessed a population. The foundation of Montreal was still more exclusively religious. The accounts of the Jesuits had inflamed pious souls with a noble emulation. A Montreal association was formed under the direction of M. Ollier, founder of Saint-Sulpice. The first expedition was placed under the command of a valiant gentleman, Paul de Maisonneuve, and of a certain Mademoiselle Mance, belonging to the middle class of nogent le roi who was not yet a nun, but who was destined to become the foundress of the hospital sisters of Ville-Marie, the name which the religious zeal of the explorers intended for the new colony of Montreal. It was not without jealousy that the governor of Quebec and the agents of the Hundred Associates looked upon the enterprise of M. de Maisonneuve. An attempt was made to persuade him to remain in the settlement already founded. Quote, I am not come here to deliberate, but to act, answered he. It is my duty, as well as an honour to me, to found a colony at Montreal, and I shall go, though every tree were an Iroquois. On the 16th of May, 1642, the new colonists had scarcely disembarked when they were mustered around Father Vimont, a Jesuit, clothed in his pontifical vestments. The priest, having first celebrated Mass, turned to those present, quote, you are only a grain of mustard seed, said he, but you will grow until your branches cover the whole earth. You are few in number, but your work is that of God. His eye is upon you, and your children will replenish the earth. Quote, you say that the enterprise of Montreal is of a cost more suitable for a king than for a few private persons too feeble to sustain it, wrote the associates of Montreal in 1643, in reply to their adversaries, and you further allege the perils of the navigation and the shipwrecks that may ruin it. You have made a better hit than you supposed in saying that it is a king's work, for the king of kings has a hand in it, he whom the winds and the sea obey. We, therefore, do not fear shipwrecks. He will not cause them, save when it is good for us, and when it is for his glory, which is our only aim. If the finger of God be not in the affair of Montreal, if it be a human invention, do not trouble yourselves about it, it will never endure. But if God have willed it, who are you that you should gainsay him? The affair of Montreal stood like that of Quebec. New France was founded, in spite of the sufferings of the early colonists, thanks to their courage, their fervent enthusiasm, and the support afforded them by the religious zeal of their friends in Europe. The Jesuit missionaries every day extended their explorations, sharing with M. de La Salle the glory of the great discoveries of the West. Champlain had before this dreamed of and sought for a passage across the continent, leading to the southern seas and permitting of commerce with India and Japan. La Salle, in his intrepid expeditions, discovered Ohio and Illinois, navigated the Great Lakes, crossed the Mississippi, which the Jesuits had been the first to reach, and pushed on as far as Texas constructing forts in the midst of the savage districts, taking possession of Louisiana in the name of King Louis the Fourteenth, abandoned by the majority of his comrades and losing the most faithful of them by death, attacked by savages, betrayed by his own men, thwarted in his projects by his enemies and his rivals, this indefatigable explorer fell at last beneath the blows of a few mutineers in 1687, just as he was trying to get back to New France. 
he left the field open after him to the innumerable travellers of every nation and every language who were one day to leave their mark on those measureless tracts everywhere in the western regions of the american continent the footsteps of the french either travellers or missionaries preceded the boldest adventurers it is the glory and the misfortune of france to always lead the van in the march of civilization without having the wit to profit by the discoveries and the sagacious boldness of her children on the unknown roads which she has opened to the human mind and to human enterprise she has often left the fruits to be gathered by nations less inventive and less able than she but more persevering and less perturbed by a confusion of desires and an incessant renewal of hopes the treaty of utrecht had taken out of french hands the gates of canada acadia and newfoundland it was now in the neighbourhood of new france that the power of england was rising growing rapidly through the development of her colonies usurping little by little the empire of the seas canada was prospering however during the long wars which the condition of europe had kept up in america the canadians had supplied the king's armies with their best soldiers returning to their homes and resuming without an effort the peaceful habits which characterized them they skilfully cultivated their fields and saw their population increasing naturally without any help from the mother country the governors had succeeded in adroitly counterbalancing the influence of the english over the indian tribes the iroquois but lately implacable foes of france had accepted a position of neutrality agricultural development secured to the country comparative prosperity but money was scarce the instinct of the population was not in the direction of commerce it was everywhere shackled by monopolies the english were rich free and bold for them the transmission and the exchange of commodities were easy the commercial rivalry which set in between the two nations was fatal to the french when the hour of the final struggle came the canadians though brave resolute passionately attached to france and ready for any sacrifice were few in number compared with their enemies scattered over a vast territory they possessed but poor pecuniary resources and could expect from the mother country only irregular assistance subject to variations of government and fortune as well as to the chances of maritime warfare and engagements at sea always perilous for the french ships which were inferior in build and in number whatever might be the courage and skill of their commanders the capture of louisbourg and the island of cape breton by the english colonists in seventeen forty five profoundly disquieted the canadians they pressed the government to make an attempt upon acadia Quote, the population has remained french they said we are ready to fight for our relatives and friends who have passed under the yoke of the foreigner the ministry sent the duke of anville with a considerable fleet storms and disease destroyed vessels and crews before it had been possible to attack a fresh squadron commanded by the marquis of la jonquiere encountered the english off cape finisterre in spain admiral anson had seventeen ships m de la jonquiere had but six he however fought desperately quote, i never saw anybody behave better than the french commander wrote the captain of the english ship windsor and to tell the truth all the officers of that nation showed great courage not one of them struck until it was absolutely impossible to manoeuvre the remnants of the french navy neglected as it had been through the unreflecting economy of cardinal fleury were almost completely destroyed and england reckoned more than two hundred and fifty ships of war 
neither the successes in the low countries and in germany nor the peace of aix-la-chapelle put a serious end to the maritime war england used her strength to despoil the french for ever of the colonies which she envied them the frontiers of canada and acadia had not been clearly defined by the treaties of peace distrust and disquiet reigned amongst the french colonists the ardor of conquest fired the english who had for a long while coveted the valley of the ohio and its fertile territories the covert hostility which often betrayed itself by acts of aggression was destined ere long to lead to open war an important emigration began amongst the acadians they had hitherto claimed the title of neutrals in spite of the annexation of their territory by england in order to escape the test oath and to remain faithful to the catholic faith the priests and the french agents urged them to do more more than three thousand acadians left their fields in their cottages to settle on the french coasts along the bay of fundy every effort of the french governors who succeeded one another only too rapidly in canada was directed towards maintaining the natural or factitious barriers between the two territories the savages excited and flattered by both sides loudly proclaimed their independence and their primitive rights over the country which the europeans were disputing between themselves Quote, we have not ceded our lands to anybody they said and we have no mind to obey any king quote, do you know what is the difference between the king of france and the englishman End quote. the iroquois were asked by marquis duquesne the then governor of canada quote, go and look at the forts which the king had set up and you will see that the land beneath his walls is still a hunting-ground he having chosen the spots frequented by you simply to serve your need the englishman on the other hand is no sooner in possession of land than the game is forced to quit the woods are felled the soil is uncovered and you can scarcely find the wherewithal to shelter yourselves at night the governor of canada was not mistaken where france established mere military posts and as it were landmarks of her political dominion the english colonists cultivators and traders brought with them practical civilization the natural and powerful enemy of savage life already war was in preparation without regard to the claims of these humble allies who were destined ere long to die out before might and the presence of a superior race the french commander in the valley of the ohio m de contrecoeur was occupied with preparations for defence when he learned that a considerable body of english troops were marching against him under the order of colonel washington he immediately dispatched m jumonville with thirty men to summon the english to retire and to evacuate french territory at break of day on the eighteenth of may seventeen fifty four washington's men surprised jumonville's little encampment the attack was unexpected it is not known whether the french envoy had time to convey the summons with which he had been charged he was killed together with nine men of his troops the irritation caused by this event precipitated the commencement of hostilities a corps of canadians reinforced by a few savages marched at once against washington he was entrenched in the plain he had to be attacked with artillery the future hero of american independence was obliged to capitulate the english retired with such precipitation that they abandoned even their flag negotiations were still going on between london and versailles and meanwhile the governors of the english colonies had met together to form a sort of confederation against french power in the new world they were raising militia everywhere on the twentieth of january seventeen fifty five general braddock with a corps of regulars landed at williamsburg in virginia 
Two months later, or not until the end of April, in fact, Admiral Dubois de la Motte quitted Brest with reinforcements and munitions of war for Canada. After him, and almost in his wake, went Admiral Boscawen from Plymouth on the 27th of April, seeking to encounter him at sea. Quote, most certainly the English will not commence hostilities, said the English cabinet, to calm the anxieties of France. It was only off Newfoundland that Admiral Boscawen's squadron encountered some French vessels, detached from the fleet in consequence of the bad weather. Quote, Captain Ocard, who commanded the Alcide, says the account of M. de Choiseul, finding himself within hail of the Dunkirk, had this question put in English, Are we at peace or war? the English captain appearing not to understand, the question was repeated in French. "'Peace, peace!' shouted the English. Almost at the same moment the Dunkirk poured in a broadside, riddling the Alcide with balls." The two French ships were taken, and a few days afterwards three hundred merchant vessels, peaceably pursuing their course, were seized by the English navy. The loss was immense, as well as the disgrace. France at last decided upon declaring war, which had already been commenced in fact for more than two years. It was regretfully, and as if compelled by a remnant of national honour, that Louis XV had just adopted the resolution of defending his colonies. He had, and the nation had as well, the feeling that the French were hopelessly weak at sea. Quote, what use to us will be hosts of troops and plenty of money, wrote the advocate Barbier if we have only to fight the English at sea. They will take all our ships one after another, they will seize all our settlements in America, and will get all the trade. We must hope for some division amongst the English nation itself, for the king personally does not desire war." The English nation was not divided. The ministers in the Parliament, as well as the American colonies, were for war. Quote, there is no hope of repose for our thirteen colonies as long as the French are masters of Canada, said Benjamin Franklin on his arrival in London in 1754. He was already laboring, without knowing it, at that great work of American independence which was to be his glory and that of his generation. The common efforts and the common interest of the thirteen American colonies in the war against France were the first step towards that great coalition which founded the United States of America. The union with the mother country was as yet close and potent. At the instigation of Mr. Fox, soon afterwards Lord Holland, and at the time Prime Minister of England, Parliament voted twenty-five millions for the American war. The bounty given to the soldiers and marines who enlisted was doubled by private subscription. Fifteen thousand men were thus raised to invade the French colonies. Canada and Louisiana together did not number eighty thousand inhabitants whilst the population of the English colonies already amounted to 1,200,000 souls. To the 2,800 regular troops sent from France, the Canadian militia added about 4,000 men, less experienced but quite as determined as the most intrepid veterans of the campaigns in Europe. During more than twenty years, the courage and devotion of the Canadians never faltered for a single day. Then began an unequal but an obstinate struggle, of which the issue, easy to foresee, never cowed or appeased the actors in it. The able tactics of M. de Vaudreuil, governor of the colony, had forced the English to scatter their forces and their attacks over an immense territory, far away from the most important settlements. The forts which they besieged were scarcely defended. Quote, a large enclosure, with a palisade round it, 
in which there were but one officer and nineteen soldiers wrote the marquis of montcalm at a later period could not be considered as a fort adapted to sustain a siege in the first campaign the settlements formed by the acadian emigrants on the borders of the bay of fundy were completely destroyed the french garrisons were obliged to evacuate their positions this withdrawal left acadia or neutral land at the mercy of the anglo-americans before longfellow had immortalized in the poem of evangeline the peaceful habits and the misfortunes of the acadians reynal had already pleaded their cause before history Quote, a simple and a kindly people he said who had no liking for blood agriculture was their occupation they had been settled in the low grounds forcing back by dint of dikes the sea and rivers wherewith those plains were covered the drained marshes produced wheat rye oats barley and maize immense prairies were alive with numerous flocks as many as sixty thousand horned cattle were counted there the habitations nearly all built of wood were very commodious and furnished with the neatness sometimes found amongst our european farmers in the easiest circumstances their manners were extremely simple the little differences which might from time to time arise between the colonists were always amicably settled by the elders it was a band of brothers all equally ready to give or receive that which they considered common to all men war and its horrors broke in upon this peaceful idyll the acadians had constantly refused to take the oath to england they were declared guilty of having violated neutrality for the most part the accusation was unjust but all were involved in the same condemnation End of chapter fifty three part three